Welcome to the Stand By My Servants podcast. In this podcast, Dr. Mark D. Ogletree, professor of church history and doctrine at Brigham Young University, explores the lives and teachings of the members of the First Presidency and Quorum of the Twelve Apostles. As we examine the lives and teachings of these leaders, our lives can be edified, enriched, and spiritually strengthened. Now here is your host, Dr. Mark D. Ogletree. Yes, welcome to Stand By My Servants, Episode 5. Today we're going to focus on the teachings of President Russell M. Nelson. And obviously we can't hit everything. We can't just uh, have an incredible 17-hour podcast on everything President Nelson has taught since 1984 when he was sustained as a member of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles. But there are some highlights that we can hit. And I think I'd like to, when it comes to teachings, I'd like to set the tone by sharing with you a couple of experiences that Sherry Dew taught in a message that she recently delivered called Prophets Can See Around the Corners. And I'll just start with this story. She said in 2014, then Elder Russell M. Nelson chaired the Missionary Executive Council, or the MEC. One day in the MEC, Elder Nelson held up his smartphone and said, we need to put these into the hands of every missionary. You can imagine the discussion that ensued about all the challenges missionaries with smartphones would create. But in time, the MEC began allowing missionaries in a few test missions to carry iPads or or smartphones. Every problem the MEC predicted happened. But Elder Nelson never wavered in his conviction that missionaries could be taught to use the internet righteously and that they should have smartphones. The test continued, and over the next few years, more and more missionaries received phones. Now fast forward to January of 2020. That month, President Russell M. Nelson, now president of the church, authorized every missionary worldwide to have a smartphone. Then, just weeks later, The pandemic shut down the world, and proselyting as we knew it stopped. Elder Bren H. Nielsen, then executive director of the missionary department, was initially concerned that that baptisms might drop to nearly zero, but they didn't. Inspired missionaries working from their apartments found and baptized 125,000 people in 2020, largely because they had smartphones. Then said Elder Nielsen, I quickly learned that that the Lord had prepared us for this day. Prophets can see around corners. That was his expression. Ammon explained how prophets see around corners. A seer can know of things which are to come, and by them shall all things be revealed, and hidden things shall come to light, and things which are not known shall be made known by them. Prophets see things we cannot see because the Lord does nothing, but he revealeth his secret unto his servants, the prophets. Now I'm still quoting from Sherry Dew. This is why prophets make us smarter than any other leaders or influencers on earth. Prophets can help us see dangers we cannot see and opportunities we cannot even imagine. And then Sherry Dew explained this. She said, I've experienced this myself. In the October 1998 General Conference, President Gordon B. Hinckley admonished members to get get out of debt. I felt that I should pay off my home, but my accountant told me I was crazy to even think about it because the interest rate on my mortgage was so low. Nonetheless, I decided to take President Hinckley at his word and just do it. It took him some scrimping for several years, but I paid off the loan. Now skip ahead, she said, to the fall of 2008, exactly 10 years after President Hinckley's warning about debt, when the U.S. economy was suddenly plunged into a recession. I was still the CEO of Deseret Book, and our sales plummeted. I was worried sick about saving jobs and, frankly, about saving the company. But one evening, as I drove home with a pit in my stomach, it dawned on me that despite all the pressure I was under, I wasn't worried at all about myself. I owned my home and I owed no money, all because I had followed a prophet's counsel 10 years earlier. Prophets help us see around corners, she said. And by the way, that is my testimony as well. I've never expressed it in the terms of prophets see around corners, but I've 
always believed that our leaders see things that we just don't see or understand. Well, back to Sherry Dew. She said, two years ago, I saw President Russell M. Nelson see something I could not see. On September the 17th, 2020, I was among those invited to a communications meeting with President Nelson. The pandemic was raging, and we suggested that President Nelson record a message of hope for church members. He told us to sprinkle a little fertilizer on that idea and bring it back to him the following week. But then the very next day, President Nelson asked our group to meet again with him. He told us that our idea wasn't bad, but it just wasn't right. And during the night, he had received the impression, there's that revelation again, that he should indeed record a message. But a message for the world, not just church members. He said his message should be about gratitude and included a prayer for the world. He told us the exact day and time the video should be released and even how long it should be. I had never heard President Nelson be so specific about communication details, but as he spoke, I knew I was witnessing a prophetic act on Revelation. Or sorry, a prophet act on Revelation. We assembled a team of videographers and others to fulfill President Nelson's instructions. If this group had relied on their own expertise, they, would have, they never would have recommended a video as long as the one President Nelson specified, nor, nor would they have suggested releasing it on a Friday. But a prophet had spoken, and we went to work. The result was the hashtag Give Thanks video, released on November the 20th, 2020. The results? Unprecedented. That video's reach dwarfed anything the church had ever released, especially to those not of our faith. Never in the history of the earth had so many people heard a prophet's voice. Prophets see around corners. Well, if you'll indulge me a bit, I'd love to review some of the teachings of President Nelson over time. Some of these teachings uh, took place or were messages that he delivered as Elder Nelson and then We'll conclude with some of the more recent teachings as President Russell M. Nelson. Here's one of those teachings. Years ago, when Sister Nelson and I had several teenage daughters, President Nelson said, we took our family on a vacation far away from telephones and boyfriends. We went on a raft trip down the Colorado River through the Grand Canyon. And as we started our journey, we had no idea how dangerous this trip would be. The first day was beautiful, but on the second day, when we approached Horn Creek, Creek Rapids and saw that the precipitous drop ahead was a significant drop, President Nelson said, I was terrified. Floating on a rubber raft, our precious family was about to plunge over a waterfall, and instinctively I put one arm around my wife and the other around our youngest daughter. To protect them, I tried to hold them close to me, but as we reached the, the precipice, the bended raft became a giant sling. Just imagine President Nelson on the back end of that raft as the front end goes over and shot me into the air. I landed into the roiling rapids of the river. I had a hard time coming up. Every time I tried to find air, I hit the underside of the raft. My family couldn't see me, but I could hear them shouting, Daddy, where's Daddy? I finally found the side of the raft and rose to the surface. The family pulled me nearly dr my nearly drowned body out of the water. We were thankful to be safely reunited. By the way, another miraculous story of how President Nelson's life was preserved. And then President Nelson said this, The next several days were pleasant and delightful. But then we came to the last day when we were to uh, go over lava falls, known as the most dangerous drop of the journey. When I saw what was ahead, I immediately asked to beach the raft and hold an emergency family council meeting, knowing that if we were to survive this experience, we needed to have a plan. We needed to plan carefully. And I reasoned with our family, no matter what happens, the rubber raft will remain on top of the water. If we cling with all of our might to ropes secured to the raft, we can make it. And even if the raft should capsize, We'll all be okay if we just hang on tightly to the ropes. I turned to our little seven-year-old daughter and said, All of the others will cling to a rope, but you will need to hold on to your daddy. Sit behind me. Put your arms around me. 
and hold on tightly while I hold on to the rope. And that we did. And we crossed those steep, rough rapids, hanging on for dear life, and, and all of us made it safely. Well, now for every one of us, we can consider what the metaphor is, whether it's holding to the rod, whether it's anchoring ourselves to the Savior, but we've got to hold on tight, especially in these latter days. We've got to hold on tight to the gospel of Jesus Christ and to each other. And if we can do that, we'll make it. Some of you may be aware, but President Nelson did not have the opportunity to serve a full-time mission. But he's always been a missionary and always been missionary-minded. He shared this experience that some of you may remember. He talked about two colleagues, a husband and a wife, who showed interest in the church. And President Nelson then explained some of the principles of the gospel and then gave them a copy of the Book of Mormon to read. But a week later, they returned it with a polite thank you. And President Nelson said, what do you mean, thanks a lot? He asked his two friends. That is a totally inappropriate response for one who has read this book. You didn't read it. Please take it back and read it, he said, and then return it to me with much more a much more appropriate reply. Now, this is like really bold, right, by President Nelson. Admitting that they had only thumbed through it, they accepted the challenge. Three weeks later, they returned with tears in their eyes. We know this book is true, they said. How can we learn more? Smiling, young President Nelson, as a young doctor, said, Now I know that you've read the book, and now we can proceed. And President Nelson did eventually baptize his two friends. Now, I like the idea that prophets, there's a pattern as they teach us. They teach us truth. They then give us invitations to act, and then they promise blessings. And just look for that pattern over and over. And in January of 2017, President Nelson, as Elder Nelson, came to BYU and spoke. He spoke about the Savior's life, and he gave an invitation. And I fear for myself, for my own family, and for others that sometimes these invitations aren't really noticed or paid close attention to. Here's what President Nelson shared with the BYU students that evening on January the 8th, 2017. He said, how can you increase your discipleship? I have an invitation that will help. An assignment, actually, he said, if you choose to accept it. Commence tonight to consecrate a portion of your time each week to studying everything Jesus said and did. This may seem like a large assignment, but I encourage you to accept it. And if you proceed to learn all that you can about Jesus Christ, I promise you that your love for him and for God's laws will grow beyond that which you currently imagine. Now, I wish we had a study and we could measure in some way what percentage of not only college students and young single adults, but the general membership of the church jumped on that invitation to study everything that Jesus said or did to claim the blessings of a prophet. But those blessings are there. Consider another significant teaching from President Nelson's talk, Drawing on the Power of Jesus Christ into Our Lives. That was the April Conference of 2017, about a year before President Nelson became the president of the church. He was focused on the Living Christ document. And he said this, The importance of the Savior's mission was emphasized by the prophet Joseph Smith, who declared emphatically that the fundamental principles of our religion are the testimony of the apostles and prophets concerning Jesus Christ, that he, was di that he died, was buried, and rose again on the, on the third day, and ascended into heaven. And all other things which pertain to our religion are only appendages to it. It was this very statement of the prophet that provided the incentive for 15 prophets, seers, and revelators to issue and sign their testimony to commemorate the 2,000th anniversary of the Lord's birth. That historic testimony is titled The Living Christ, and many members have memorized its truths. Others barely know about its existence. As you seek to learn more about Jesus Christ, I urge you to study the living Christ. And so there it is, another invitation, another invitation given by a prophet, seer, and revelator. And I wonder how well that invitation was heeded. Now, in this talk, President Nelson 
is going to drill down and teach us how to gain power and strength in our lives, something that all of us want and need. And he said, number one, we begin by learning about him. It's impossible for us to be saved in ignorance. And the more we know about the Savior's ministry and mission, the more we understand his doctrine and what he did for us, the more we know that he can provide the power that we need for our lives. That was number one. Number two, he said we can increase the Savior's power in our lives when we make sacred covenants and keep those covenants with precision. With precision. What a great word. Our covenants bind us to him and give us godly power. And then he said this, covenant-keeping men and women seek for ways to keep themselves unspotted from the world so there will be nothing blocking their access to the Savior's power. I think if we all want to know why President Nelson is so focused on the temple, in my mind, at least one reason is his focus on covenants. And then a third way to gain power and strength in our lives, he said, as we invest time in learning about the Savior and his atoning sacrifice, we are drawn to participate in another key element of accessing his power. We choose to have faith in him and follow him. In other words, faith is a choice. And true disciples of Jesus Christ are willing to stand out and speak up and be different from the people of the world. They are undaunted, devoted, and courageous. And I love the idea that our prophet, President Nelson, is encouraging all of us to be leaders and to stand up and once again be defenders of the faith and the family. Here's another wonderful teaching from President Nelson's talk called Nurturing Marriage, given at the April 2006 General Conference. I would invite everyone to read it. It's wonderful. The context of that talk is that Dancil has passed away a year or so earlier, and during this month, President Nelson married Wendy Watson. So marriage is definitely on his mind, no question about it. He said, as we brethren travel around the world, sometimes we see worrisome scenes. And on a recent flight, I sat behind a husband and wife. She obviously loved her husband. As she stroked the back of his neck, I could see her wedding ring. And she would nestle close to him and rest her head upon his shoulder, seeking his companionship. But in contrast, he seemed totally oblivious to her presence. He was focused solely upon an electronic game player. And during the entire flight... His attention was riveted upon that device. Not once did he look at her, speak to her, or acknowledge her yearning for affection. Now, if you could watch the video of this talk, you are going to see President Nelson in a way you may have never seen him before. He is energized. He is passionate. And he said, his inattention made me feel like shouting, open your eyes, man. Can't you see? Pay attention. Your wife loves you. She needs you. That's about how he said it in the message. I don't know more about them. I haven't seen them since. Perhaps I was alarmed unduly, and very possibly if this man knew of my concern for them, he might feel sorry for me and not knowing how to use such an exciting toy. But then President Nelson said this, but these things I do know, that marriage between a man and a woman is ordained of God and that the family is central to the Creator's plan for the eternal destiny of his children. I know that the earth was created and that the Lord's church was restored so that families could be sealed and exalted as eternal entities. Think about the power of that doctrine that the entire purpose of the earth's creation, see Doctrine and Covenants section 49, verses 15 to 17, but the the entire purpose of the earth is so that families could be sealed and exalted. And then President Nelson continues, And I know that one of Satan's cunning methods of undermining the work of the Lord is to attack the sacred institutions of marriage and the family. Now, I will just add to that in my own personal life, in my calling as a stake leader, and in my private practice, I don't know if I could ever say that I have seen Satan work in such a relentless, passionate way to destroy the family. I have recently met with several families that four or five years ago, we would have said maybe one of the most outstanding families that we've ever met. 
and right now they're imploding. And Satan is, is working every single angle to destroy marriage and family. Now let's go back to President Nelson. Marriage brings greater possibilities for happiness than does any other human relationship. Yet some married couples fall short of their potential. They let their romantic, they let their romance become rusty. They take each other for granted and allow other interests or clouds of neglect to obscure the vision of what their marriage could really be. Marriages would be happier if nurtured more carefully. I say to that, amen, amen, amen. What a wonderful thought by President Nelson on marriage. I remember years ago, Janie, my new wife, and I stood in the line at a funeral home where our bishop's son had been killed in a car accident. And I remember our bishop, many of us know how this works. We go to the funeral to comfort the family, and the family ends up comforting us. That can only happen because the gospel of Jesus Christ is true and the comforter is real. But I remember our bishop teaching us as a young couple, before we even had children, a great principle, that our children are born not really to us, but through us, and that they're not our possessions. They belong to the Lord, and that he lets us borrow them for a time. And if we do really well, then it's maybe a rent-to-own program, so to speak, where we can all be together in eternity, but that they're not really our children. They belong to Heavenly Father. This is exactly what President Nelson taught years ago. He said, part of honoring parenthood is honoring children. And there's a great temptation to believe erroneously that our children are our possessions, and they're not. They are sons and daughters of Heavenly Father. Their spirits are eternal, as are ours. This was brought forcibly to my attention many years ago when our youngest was about four years of age. I came home from work one night, President Nelson said, to find my sweetheart very weary, from a full day with nine children underfoot. My day had been heavy also, but I offered to get the children ready for bed. I began to give orders to our little four-year-old daughter. Take your clothes off, hang them up, brush your teeth, get your pajamas on, say your prayers, etc. Commanding in a manner befitting a tough sergeant in the army. She then cocked her little head to one side, looked at me with her wistful eyes and said, Daddy, do you own me? Then I realized that I was using coercive methods on this sweet spirit and that to rule children by command or force is the technique of Satan, not the Savior. She taught me this important lesson, that we don't own our children. We have them for a brief season. As parents, it is our privilege to love them, to lead them, and then to let them go. That message was given in a talk called Begin with the End in Mind. BYU Speeches, 30 September, 1984. Another BYU-type speech, it was actually called Faith in Families. It was the CES Fireside on the 6th of February, 2005. The timeliness was so crucial. This message was given on, once again, February the 6th. On February the 12th, one week after this message, Dance will pass away. So think of the significance of what President Nelson is about to say in the context that in one week his wife will have passed away. Here's what he said. As Sister Nelson and I look back, we can honestly say that our family and membership in the church are most important to us. How thankful we are that we heeded the counsel of church leaders to marry in the temple, to invite children into our family, and to serve the Lord. If we had placed our education ahead of our family, we would not be so blessed now. Education was a lengthy process for us. Earning two doctor's degrees took me a long time. Then we struggled through many more years of surgical specialization. I did not send a bill for surgical services until I had been out of medical school for more than 12 years. By then, we had five children, but somehow we managed. We have tasted life successes and sorrows. We have dealt with disappointment, disease, and death among our children. But death cannot divide families sealed in the temple. That period of separation is only temporary. Thanks to the Lord's great plan of happiness, we can all face the future with great faith and optimism, he said. Which, once again, is not only a theme of President Nelson as we think of 
faith and optimism, but it's the theme of every apostle and prophet. These men are all hopeful. They are all optimistic. They all see the good. And I find that to be a great testimony to me to be able to do that in the latter days in which we live. Here's another story that President Nelson shared that I think is wonderful as he talks about the principle of making decisions beforehand. He said, years ago, while I served as a young intern in a large medical center, I attended a Christmas party. The host was the chief of surgery, and I had made a major commitment to work for and to be loyal to him in his world-famous institution, which had produced many of the great surgeons, scholars, and researchers of our generation. At the party, the chief's head resident offered alcoholic beverages to Sister Nelson and me. Of course, we politely declined. Minutes later, he returned with a more persuasive pitch. Take a drink, he said, or the chief will be offended. Again, we declined. Our refusal infuriated the head resident, red-faced and indignant. He said, Nelson, you take this drink or I'll make life around here mighty miserable for you. I simply replied, you do what you must, doctor, but I will do what I must. I fulfilled my promise and he fulfilled his. He saw to it that I had no vacation that year. His responsibility to prepare the schedule of assignments and on-call duty bore the stamp of his vitriolic vengeance against me. But now, as I reflect on this matter some 40 years later, I I would not trade places with him today or forever. What a great story of President Nelson standing strong in his convictions. And then he said this, remember that decisions are best made before the time of testing. Whether those resolutions concern forsaking drugs, alcohol, and other addicting substances, or pornography, which can become an addiction of the mind. Resist any temptation of lust disguised as love. Instead of vice, let virtue garnish your thoughts. And to all the men and women here, I urge you to choose companions well and cherish those friends who lift you and make you better in their presence. And be such friends to one another, he said. On several occasions in General Conference, President Nelson has shared his testimony about prayer and how prayer has blessed his life, not just individually and not just in his family, but professionally as well. Now, this story is how prayer affected a group of youth in New Zealand. Here's President Nelson. We can also access his healing power through prayer. I'll never forget an experience that Sister Nelson and I had about three decades ago with President Spencer W. Kimball and his beloved Camilla. We were in Hamilton, New Zealand for a large conference with the Saints. I was not a general authority at the time. I had been invited to participate in this and similar meetings in other Pacific Islands while serving as the general president of the Sunday School. As a doctor of medicine, I had attended President Sister Kimball for many years. I knew each of them very well inside and out. A Saturday evening cultural program had been prepared for this conference by local youth of the church. Unfortunately, President and Sister Kimball both became very ill, each with a high fever. After receiving priesthood blessings, they rested at the nearby home of the president of the New Zealand temple. President Kimball asked his counselor, President N. Eldon Tanner, to preside at the cultural event and to excuse President and Sister Kimball. Sister Nelson went with President and Sister Tanner and the other leaders to the event, while President Kimball's secretary, Brother D. Arthur Haycock, and I watched over our feverish friends. While President Kimball was sleeping, I was quietly reading in his room. Suddenly, President Kimball was awakened, and he asked Brother Nelson, what time was this evening's program to begin? At seven o'clock, President Kimball. What time is it now? It's almost seven, I replied. President Kimball quickly said, tell Sister Kimball we're going. I checked President Kimball's temperature. It was normal. I took Sister Kimball's temperature. It was also normal. They quickly dressed and got into a car. We were driven to the stadium of the Church College of New Zealand. As the car entered the arena, there was a very loud shout that erupted spontaneously. It was most unusual, and after we took our seats, I asked Sister Nelson about that sudden sound. She said that when President Tanner began the meeting, he dutifully excused President Sister Kimball because of illness. Then one of the young New Zealanders was called upon to pray, and with great faith he gave what Sister Nelson described as a rather lengthy 
but powerful prayer. He prayed that we are 3,000 New Zealand youth. We are assembled here, having prepared for six months to sing and dance for thy prophet. Wilt thou heal him and deliver him here? After the amen was pronounced, the card-carrying present, Sister Kimball, entered the stadium almost immediately after that prayer. And instantly everyone shouted for joy. I had witnessed the healing power of the Lord. I had also witnessed revelation as received and responded to by his living prophet. What a great story that teaches us the power of prayer and revelation simultaneously. Many of you may be aware of the wonderful experience President Nelson shared in his talk as Elder Nelson called Sweet Power of Prayer in the April 2003 General Conference. He said, many of us have have had experiences with the sweet power of prayer. One of mine was shared with a stake patriarch from southern Utah. I first met him in my medical office more than 40 years ago during the early pioneering days of surgery of the heart. This saintly soul suffered much because of a failing heart. He pleaded for help, thinking that his condition resulted from a damaged but repairable valve in his heart. Extensive evaluation revealed that he had two faulty valves. While one could be helped surgically, the other could not. Thus, an operation was not advised. He received this news with deep disappointment. Subsequent visits ended with the same advice. Finally, in desperation, he spoke to me with considerable emotion. Dr. Nelson, he said, I have prayed for help and have been directed to you. The Lord will not reveal to me how to repair that second valve, but he can reveal it to you. Your mind is so prepared. If you will operate upon me, the Lord will make it known to you what to do. Please perform the operation that I need and pray for the help that you need. His great faith had a profound effect upon me, and how could I turn him away again? Following a fervent prayer together, and I love that together. Here's President Nelson in his office praying with this seasoned patriarch. President Nelson said, After that prayer, I agreed to try. And in preparing for that fateful day, I prayed over and over again, but still did not know what to do for his leaking tricuspid valve. Even as the operation commenced, my assistant asked, what are we going to do for that? And I said, I don't know. But we began the operation. And don't you like the idea that President Nelson still proceeds with faith, even though he doesn't have an idea of how this is going to end? After relieving the obstruction of the first valve, we exposed the second valve. We found it to be intact, but so badly dilated that it could no longer function as it should. While examining this valve, a message was distinctly impressed upon my mind, reduce the circumference of the ring. I announced that message to my assistant. The valve tissue will be sufficient if we can effectively reduce the ring towards its normal size. But how? We could not apply a belt as one would use to tighten the waist of oversized trousers. We couldn't squeeze with a strap as one would cinch a saddle on a horse. Then a picture came vividly to my mind, showing how stitches could be placed to make a pleat here and a tuck there, to accomplish the desired objective. I still remember that mental image, complete with dotted lines, where sutures should be placed. The repair was completed as diagrammed in my mind. We tested the valve and found the leak to be reduced remarkably. My assistant said it's a miracle. I responded, it's an answer to prayer. The patient's recovery was rapid and his relief gratifying. Not only was he helped in a marvelous way, but surgical help for other people with similar problems had become a possibility. I take no credit. Praise goes to this faithful patriarch and to God who answered our prayers. This faithful man lived for many more years and has since gone to his eternal glory. Now the rest of that story, if you want to go Paul Harvey for a minute, is that that procedure was one that President Nelson then was able to teach other doctors on a national and international level, something just that had never been done before. Incredible blessing. Another talk that has significance in my life and in the life of some of my children, but uh, we had a daughter at the time. She was in college, and she was struggling with some issues with anxiety. And, and after conference was over, as we always try to do, we were reviewing the conference as a family, and I asked our children what their favorite talk was from conference. 
And uh, one of my daughters said, Dad, I think this talk that President Nelson gave, and it wasn't, it wasn't titled yet, but now it's called Face the Future with Faith, given at the April 2011 conference. And my daughter said that was my favorite talk, and I knew exactly why, because President Nelson had really addressed fear and worry and anxiety. Here's what he said. Start with your children. You parents bear the primary responsibility to strengthen their faith. Let them feel your faith, even when sore trials come upon you. Let your faith be focused on our loving Heavenly Father and His beloved Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Teach that faith with, teach that faith with deep conviction. Teach each precious boy or girl that he or she is a child of God created in His image with a sacred purpose and potential that each is born with challenges to overcome and faith to be developed. And then he said this, how you deal with life's trials is part of the development of your faith. Strength comes when you remember that you have divine, a divine nature and an inheritance of infinite worth. The Lord has reminded you, your children and your grandchildren, that you are lawful heirs, that you have been reserved in heaven for your specific time and place to be born to grow and become his standard bearers and covenant people. As you walk in the Lord's path of righteousness, you will be blessed to continue in his goodness and be a light and a savior unto his people. Your rewards come not only hereafter. Many blessings will be yours in this life. Among your children and grandchildren, you faithful saints do not have to fight life's battles alone. Think of that, President Nelson said. And then he quoted, the Lord said, I will contend with him that contendeth with thee, and I will save thy children. Later came this promise to all faithful people, that I, the Lord, would fight their battles and their children's battles and their children's children's battles to the third and fourth generation. And then he continues, Our beloved President Thomas S. Monson has given us prophetic, his prophetic witness. He said, I testify to you that our promised blessings are beyond measure, and though the storm clouds may gather, though the rains may pour down upon us, our knowledge of the gospel and our love of our Heavenly Father and our Savior will comfort and sustain us and bring us joy, bring joy to our hearts as we walk uprightly and keep the commandments. President Monson then continued, My beloved brothers and sisters, fear not, be of good cheer, and this is where President Monson said, the future is as bright as your faith. And then President Nelson shared his testimony. To President Monson's powerful declaration, I had my own. I testify that God is our Father, that Jesus is the Christ. His church has been restored to the earth, and His truth, covenants, and ordinances enable us to overcome fear and face the future with faith. I so testify in the sacred name of Jesus Christ, amen, he said. Now another talk. And this is so great. I love this perspective from President Nelson that he gave in his message called Joy and Spiritual Survival, a talk that was at the October General Conference of 2016. He said, As conflicts between nations escalate, as cowardly terrorists prey on the innocent, and as the corruption in everything from business to government becomes increasingly commonplace, what can help us? What can help each of us with our personal struggles and with the rigorous challenge of living in these latter days? The prophet Lehi taught a principle for spiritual survival. Lehi knew opposition, anxiety, heartache, pain, disappointment, and sorrow, yet he declared boldly and without reservation a principle as revealed by the Lord— that men are that they might have joy. Imagine of all the words he could have used to describe the nature and purpose of our lives here in mortality, he chose the word joy. Life is filled with detours and dead ends, trials and challenges of every kind. Each of us has likely had times when distress, anguish, and despair almost consumed us. Yet we are here to have joy, President Nelson asks. And then the great key point right here. My dear brothers and sisters, the joy we feel has little to do with the circumstances of our lives and everything to do with the focus of our lives. Now, my friends, I teach this principle in my counseling practice all the time, that life boils down to this, what you choose to focus on. And President Nelson is teaching that. 
For example, he said it doesn't seem possible to feel joy when your child suffers with an incurable illness or when you lose your job or when your spouse betrays you. Yet that is precisely the joy the Savior offers. His joy is constant, assuring us that our afflictions shall be but for a small moment and be consecrated to our gain. We can give thanks for Him in our prayers and by keeping covenants we've made with Him and our Heavenly Father. As our Savior becomes more and more real to us, and as we plead for His joy to be given to us, our joy will increase, He said. Boy, do I find that to be a wonderful, wonderful thought, especially in the days that we live in. Now, here's another consideration. The talk was called The Sabbath is a Delight, in my mind a landmark talk that President Nelson gave in April of 2015. Consider this, that the idea that a two-hour meeting block, that you know, reduced meetings on Sunday, more family time, uh, more time for families to teach the gospel to each other, that these thoughts were percolating in the minds and hearts of our prophets, seers, and revelators for a long time before they were actually instituted. And I think there's evidence for that in President Nelson's talk on the Sabbath. How do we hallow the Sabbath day, he said. In my much younger years, I studied the work of others who had compiled lists of things to do and things not to do on the Sabbath. It wasn't until later that I learned from the scriptures that my conduct and my attitude on the Sabbath constituted a sign between me and my Heavenly Father. With that understanding, I no longer needed a list of do's and don'ts. When I had to make a decision whether or not an activity was appropriate for the Sabbath, I simply asked myself, what sign do I want to give to God? That question made my choices about the Sabbath day crystal clear. I think that's a great question for each of us to ask, is what is the sign that we want to send to Heavenly Father? And I think that would drive and help us make decisions about the way that we spend our time on Sundays, on what we listen to or watch for entertainment, what we actually wear, and how we conduct ourselves that day. And then President Nelson added this in that talk. He said, we make the Sabbath a delight when we teach the gospel to our children. Our responsibility as parents is abundantly clear. The Lord said that inasmuch as parents have children in Zion, that teach them not to understand the doctrine of repentance faith in Christ, the Son of the living God, and of baptism, and the gift of the Holy Ghost by the laying on of hands when eight years old, the sin be upon the heads of the parents. I almost wish I were a young father once again. Now parents have such wonderful resources available to help them make family time more meaningful on the Sabbath and other days as well. They have LDS.org, Mormon.org, the Bible videos, the Mormon channel, the media library, the friend, the new era, the Liahona, and many more. These resources are so very helpful to parents in, to start in, in discharging their sacred duty to teach their children. No other work transcends that of righteous, intentional parenting. Now, what a great statement that is, that we need parents today that will teach the gospel in their homes, that will live the gospel and demonstrate it to their children. In President Nelson's talk, titled Let Your Faith Show, that was the April 2014 conference. He shared this, that on a recent flight, our pilot announced that we would encounter turbulence during our descent and that all passengers must fasten their seatbelts securely. Sure enough, turbulence came. It was really rough. Across the aisle and a couple of rows behind me, a terrified woman panicked. With each frightening drop and jarring bump, she screamed loudly. Her husband tried to comfort her, but to no avail. Her hysterical shouts persisted until we passed through that zone of turbulence to a safe landing. And during her period of anxiety, I felt sorry for her because faith is the antidote for fear. And I silently wished that I could have strengthened her faith. Later, as passengers were leaving the aircraft, this woman's husband spoke to me. He said, I'm sorry my wife was so terrified. The only way I could comfort her was to tell her that Elder Nelson is on this flight, so you need not worry. <laughs> I don't know if any of you can relate to that, but I certainly can. I always feel a lot comforted when I'm on an airplane and I see missionaries or even occasionally a general authority of some kind. And then in that message, President Nelson said something 
once again, this was 2014. Maybe it's even more relevant now. But he said, the temptation to be popular may prioritize public opinion above the word of God. Political campaigns and marketing strategies widely employ public opinion polls to shape their plans. Results of those polls are informative, but they could hardly be used as grounds to justify disobedience to God's commandments. Even if everyone is doing it, wrong is never right. Evil, error, and darkness will never be truth, even if popular. A scriptural warning so declares that woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness. And then President Nelson taught this, that after World War I, a rather risque song became popular, and promoting immorality, it vowed that 50 million people cannot be wrong. But in fact, President Nelson said 50 million people can be wrong, totally wrong. Immorality is still immorality in the eyes of God, who one day will judge all of us by our deeds and desires. And then he said this, contrast the fear and faithlessness so prevalent in the world today with the faith and courage of my dearly beloved daughter, Emily, who now lives on the other side of the veil. As mortal life was leaving her cancer-ridden body, she could barely speak. But with a smile on her face, she said to me, Daddy, don't worry about me. I know I will be all right. Emily's faith was showing, showing brightly in that tender moment, right when we needed it the most. This beautiful young mother of five had full faith in her Heavenly Father, in His plan, and in the eternal welfare of her family. She was securely tied back to God. She was totally faithful to covenants made with the Lord and with her husband. She loved her children, but was at peace despite her impending separation from them. She had faith in her future and theirs too, because she had faith in our Heavenly Father and in His Son. And then he quoted President Monson that, of course, we will face fear, experience ridicule, and meet opposition. Let us have the courage to defy the consensus, the courage to stand for principle. Courage, not compromise, brings the smile of God's approval. Remember that all men have their fears, but those who face their fears with faith have courage as well. And then Elder Nelson at that time concluded by saying that President Monson's counsel is timeless. So I plead with you, my dear brothers and sisters, day after day, on your path toward your eternal destiny, increase your faith, proclaim your faith, and let your faith show. I pray that you'll be securely tied back to God. What a great, great message from President Nelson. Now just a few teachings from our prophet as the president of the church. How about this talk? We can do better and be better. That would be April 2019. Brethren, we need to do better and be better because we're in a battle. And the battle with sin is real. And the adversary, he said, is quadrupling his efforts to disrupt testimonies and impede the work of the Lord. He is arming his minions with potent weapons to keep us from partaking of the joy and love of the Lord. Now here's my question to all of us, that if Satan is quadrupling his efforts to disrupt our connection to the Lord, what can we do to quadruple our efforts to obtain the Spirit in our lives? And how do we do that every day? But once again, we can't sit back idly right now in this incredible battle that we're in with Satan and just do what we've always done and hope that things will work out and that everything will be okay. It's not going to work. If Satan is quadrupling his efforts, we're going to have to quadruple or even go further than that to come out of this battle successfully. Now, here's President Nelson in his opening talk as the prophet. I am optimistic about the future. He said it will be filled with opportunities for each of us to progress, contribute, and to take the gospel to every corner of the earth. But I'm also not naive about the days ahead. We live in a world that is complex and increasingly contentious. The constant availability of social media and a 24-hour news cycle bombard us with relentless messages. And if we were to have any hope of sifting through the myriad of voices and the philosophies of men that attack truth, we must learn to receive revelation. Once again, I love that our prophet puts it on us. It's on us to engage in that work of receiving revelation. Then he said this, Our Savior and Redeemer, Jesus Christ, will perform some of his mightiest works between now and when he comes again. 
we'll see miraculous indications that God the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ, preside over this church in majesty and glory. And by the way, I think that we see that. I think that we're seeing some of that right now. I mean, look at how crazy the world is and the turmoil that we're in, and yet every general conference, we're announcing temples. Every general conference, we're learning of missionary work that's permeating the world. Every general conference, we're learning that the Lord's work continues to move forward. Wow. But in the coming days, he said it will not be possible to survive spiritually without the guiding, directing, comforting, and constant influence of the Holy Ghost. And then he said this, I plead with you to increase your spiritual capacity to receive revelation. Choose to do the spiritual work required to enjoy the gift of the Holy Ghost and to hear the voice of the Spirit more frequently and more clearly. That may be one of most of President Nelson's most profound messages. Another, in his talk for, of, called Spiritual Momentum, or the Power of Spiritual Momentum, given in the April 2022 conference, he talked about the idea of ending conflicts in our lives, conflicts that are raging in our hearts, in our homes, and in our lives, and to bury any and all inclinations to hurt others. You, you would have to believe that after some of President Nelson's talks and messages, that obtaining peace in this life is one of his major themes. He said, The Savior commanded us to turn the other cheek, to love our enemies, and to pray for those who despitefully use us. We are followers of the Prince of Peace. Now more than ever, we need the peace that only He can bring. How can we expect peace to exist in the world when we are not individually seeking peace and harmony? Brothers and sisters, I know what I'm suggesting is not easy, but followers of Jesus Christ should set the example for all the world to follow. I plead with you to do all that you can to end personal conflicts that are currently raging in your hearts and in your lives. Now remember the pattern that our prophets follow. They teach doctrine, they give an invitation, and then they promise a blessing. In that talk called The Power of Spiritual Momentum, President Nelson suggested five specific actions for us to take. Number one, get on the covenant path and stay there. Number two, to discover the joy of repenting daily. Number three, learn about God and how he works. Number four, seek and expect miracles. And number five, to end those personal conflicts in our lives. Now listen to the promise. As you act on these pursuits, I promise you the ability to move forward on the covenant path with increased momentum despite whatever obstacles you face. And I promise you greater strength to resist temptation, more peace of mind, freedom from fear, and greater unity in your families. And I don't know about you, but I hear those promises and say, I will take it. I will take that for sure. How about this uh, recent talk that President Nelson gave just at the April of 2023 General Conference? He said that vulgarity, fault-finding, and evil speaking of others are all too common, and too many pundits, politicians, entertainers, and other influencers throw insults constantly. I am greatly concerned that so many people seem to believe that it is completely acceptable to condemn, malign, and vilify anyone who does not agree with them. Many seem eager to damage another's reputation with pathetic and pithy barbs. But he said, anger never persuades. Hostility builds no one. Contention never leads to inspired solutions. Regret regrettably, we some sometimes see contentious behavior even within our own ranks. We hear of those who belittle their spouses and their children, of those who use angry outbursts to control others, and of those who punish family members with the silent treatment. We hear of youth and children who bully and, uh, bully and of employees who defame their colleagues. My dear brothers and sisters, our prophet said, this should not be as disciples of Christ. We are to be examples of how to interact with others, especially when we have differences of opinion. One of the easiest ways to identify a true follower of Jesus Christ is how compassionately that person treats other people. Amen, amen, amen. I believe it. The Savior made this clear in his sermons to followers in both hemispheres that blessed are the peacemakers, he said, and that whoever shall smite thee on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And then, of course, he gave the admonition that challenges each one of us 
to love your enemies, to bless them that curse you, to do good to them that hate you, and to pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. I know that's a tall order, but it's one that we can do. And then he quoted the Savior as saying that by this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. The true mark of a saint, I would say, the true mark of a disciple, and what needs to define us in these latter days is the love that we feel in our families towards each other, towards our fellow ward and stake members, and towards those who persecute us. And then back to President Nelson. The Savior's message is clear. His true disciples build, lift, encourage, persuade, and inspire. And no matter how difficult the situation, true disciples of Christ are always peacemakers. And then he gave us the antidote. He said the antidote to contention is charity. Charity defines a peacemaker. And that the pure love of Christ is the answer to the contention in the world that ails us today. And that charity propels us to bear one another's burdens rather than to heap burdens upon each other. Charity allows us to demonstrate how men and women of Christ speak and act, especially, he said, when under fire. President Russell M. Nelson is so relevant. He is such a powerful, relevant prophet who always speaks strongly to the issues of our day. And if we follow his counsel, there are great blessings for us. There is no question about that. Now I would like to conclude today where we began. We mentioned the talk by Sherry Dew that prophets see around corners, and we shared the story that she shared about President Nelson's worldwide message on gratitude given in November of 2020. I'd like to conclude with part of that message because I find it incredible there is, an, there is a wonderful tie, a strong tie, between gratitude and happiness. And I believe that we can have happiness on this earth, that we can have hope, that we can have faith despite the conditions of the world. And gratitude is part of that key. Listen to our prophet. He said this, Over my nine and a half decades of life, I have concluded that counting our blessings is far better than recounting our problems. No matter our situation, showing gratitude for our privileges is a fast-acting and long-lasting spiritual prescription. Does gratitude spare us from sorrow, sadness, grief, or pain? No, but it does soothe our feelings and provides us with a greater perspective on the very purpose of life and joy, he said. Nearly 16 years ago, my wife Danzel and I were sitting on the sofa holding hands while we watched television. Suddenly, she collapsed. And despite being well-trained to treat the very thing that ended her life, I could not save my own wife. Danzel and I were blessed with nine daughters and one son. Tragically, I have lost two of those daughters to cancer. No parent is prepared to lose a child. And yet, despite these and other difficult experiences, I am incredibly grateful, eternally grateful, he said, for so many things. I am so grateful to God for the nearly 60 years that Danzel and I shared together for a lifetime of love and joy and cherished memories. And I thank him for my wife, Wendy, whom I met after Danzel's passing. She now fills my life with joy. I am grateful to God for the years I had with my two departed daughters. This father's heart melts when I see attributes of those girls in the precious faces of their children and grandchildren. And then President Nelson said this, We can all give thanks for the beauties of the earth and the majesty of the heaven, of the heavens that give us an inkling of the vastness of eternity. We can give thanks for the gift of life, for our amazing bodies and minds that allow us to grow and learn. And then he goes on, continually discussing why gratitude is so important. But isn't it awesome? We just read a little while ago in one of President Nelson's messages that the focus of our lives determines the joy that we have on this earth. And I love that with President Nelson, instead of being focused on losing his wife and on losing two of his daughters, and we've seen people focus on that, right? We've, we know people that have had those tragedies in their life, but they just can't uh, move past that in a way that helps them to heal. Not that they ever get over it, but for some, it's very hard to move past it. But President Nelson said, I choose to focus on the wonderful, awesome times that I had with my wife. 
and those two daughters who are gone than on the loss and on the fact that they're not here. Uh, what a great message from President Nelson as a prophet, seer, and revelator. It was the exact message that we needed during that time of COVID, that COVID period. I invite you, he said, for the next seven days to turn social media into your own personal gratitude journal. Post every day about what you are grateful for, whom you are grateful for, and why you are grateful. And at the end of seven days, see if you feel happier and more at peace. Use the hashtag give thanks. And working together, we can flood social media with a wave of gratitude that reaches the four corners of the earth. Isn't that a great, a great message from a prophet? Dear friends, I have no doubt that Russell M. Nelson is a prophet, seer, and revelator, and he is the man the Lord has called at this very specific time to be the leader of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, who in turn follows our supreme leader, and that is Jesus Christ. I am grateful for how President Russell M. Nelson leads me to the Savior. And I share that with you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.